Good morning. It's good to be here with you and a chance to worship and look at the scriptures together. As many of you know, we've been looking at the book of Acts during this season of Easter as we make our way from Easter to Pentecost. We've been looking at sections of the book of Acts that tell us about what the church is like. We remember, right, the book of Acts is the story of the church right after Jesus has been crucified and risen from the dead and ascended into heaven. He sends his spirit and forms a people in his name. And we've been asking, what is that people like? What are the characteristics of this church that God is gathering to the risen Christ? And a couple of things just to, to remind us of what we've seen. In Acts 2, we saw Peter give the first sermon and that the church is a community formed by the proclamation of the gospel. Then in Acts 4, we saw the church in the face of opposition and persecution. We saw the church pray for boldness and pray for the renewal and healing of their neighbors, setting them as a community marked by prayer. In Acts 6, we saw the same community use their resources to care for one another, especially the vulnerable among them, seeing that this church is to be a community of generosity. And then last Sunday in Acts 9, we saw... Saul, the person who persecuted the early church, who sought to imprison the early Christians, we saw that same person encounter the risen Jesus and then be welcomed by Ananias and the church in Damascus. And in that, those events, we see that the church was a place of radical welcome, that even Saul, the persecutor, would be welcomed as a brother. This morning, we're going to continue to ask this question, what is this church like? Well, how does, when God forms us, what is his spirit doing among us? And we're going to look at Acts 16. In this part, Saul, the one who was persecuting the church, has now become Paul, the apostle. And he and his fellow missionaries are in Philippi. Philippi was an important Roman city known for its trade and its influence. And in Philippi, Acts tells us about three individuals, three individuals in particular, who were impacted by the proclamation of Jesus. One was a woman named Lydia, a businesswoman who dealt in purple cloth, which meant that she was a businesswoman at the highest place of the market. Another person that's impacted is an unfortunate slave girl who is described as an oracle in the city. And then finally, the city jailer, likely a former Roman soldier who now works as the city jailer. Three very different persons, an independent, respected businesswoman, a young slave, and a former soldier, but all encounter the message of Jesus. Our passage this morning, as we read it, we're going to focus on the last two, the young slave woman and the jailer. And what I hope that we can see as we look at their stories and see how people respond is that the church is a community of new beginnings, that we gather as a people in the Spirit of God marked as those with new beginnings in Christ. In Jesus, individuals and families find new life, new birth, new ways of being. So let's look at our passage. This is Acts chapter 16, verse 16 through 34. You can follow in your order of worship or your Bible, or you can just listen as I read. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. 
But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are dis- disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their, the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer, calling for lights, and rushing, rushed in and trembling with fear, fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. This is God's word given for our good. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. We thank you for the call to gather in your name and your presence. We pray that your spirit would meet us as we've sung and as we've prayed, Lord, lift our hearts by your truth and by your grace. Lift us, lift our heads that we may see and encounter you again today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as we just read, Luke begins our passage talking about a young slave girl. And as I mentioned in the intro, the, the sermon I want to have kind of two parts. The one will look at the encounter of this, of this slave, and then we'll look at the encounter with the jailer. But one of the themes that runs through our passages is the theme of kind of unexpected events, unexpected changes. And through those, we'll see that in Christ there is the possibility of new beginnings, of new life. And what do we do when the things that we plan on come apart? What do we do when the way before us seems unclear? So let's start with this first person. Luke, the author, writes, As we were walking, we, met, we were met by a slave girl. He mentions two observations, that she has a spirit of divination and that her owners exploit her as a fortune teller in order to make money. The description, a spirit of divination, literally means a spirit of python, Python, yes, as a snake. Now, this is obviously very uh, unfamiliar to us, but in the ancient Greek world, divination was very popular. It was a way to protect oneself from misfortune or to curse another, to win over another person, or just to gain advice and direction about decisions. And the spirit of Python, this reference to a snake, was a way to reference the oracle at Delphi, the kind of the center of divination in the Greek world, They say that this girl had the same spirit that was part of that location, that spirit that gave people direction and advice. So this origin story, this description, links this girl directly to the most popular oracle in the ancient world, giving very good credentials and making for very good business. 
And this unfortunate girl finds herself drawn to Paul and the other missionaries, and for many days she follows them wherever they go, and crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they proclaim to you the way of salvation. And to those who hear her, who knows exactly what they understood by that, but to Greek ears, that proclamation most likely meant, These people belong to the top God, to the God that's above all the pantheon, and they will bring you prosperity, they will help you be rescued if you listen to them. Or her cries become a burden to Paul, disturb him. He doesn't want this kind of attention as he's trying to be present in the city and free to speak about Jesus. And so Paul frees the little girl from the condition that made her useful to her owners. And freeing this girl set her on a different path, rescuing her as she said they would do. But freeing this girl also brought another response. We don't get to hear much about her story, for what we hear about is that freeing this person unleashes serious anger. The owners are enraged. From their perspective, Paul has done no good in this situation. Rather, they, he has messed up their business, their attention, the fact that they have something of value. So they seize Paul and Silas. They drag them into the marketplace before the authorities. And as they drag them, they charge them with being Jewish outsiders. These men are Jews, is the charge. And they're throwing our city into confusion. These Jews are proclaiming customs that are not lawful for us to accept, not lawful or right for us as Romans. And do you hear the language that is being brought about Paul and Silas? Language of prejudice. Such people should not be present here. They should be taught that they are not welcome to act in this way or to be in Roman cities or amongst Roman citizens. This is not really a legal trial. It's not justice. And after the charges, the crowds are riled up. Paul and Silas are found guilty, stripped, and handed over to the attendants to be beaten as a warning to them and to everyone. They're thrown into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. It's worth us noting for a moment as we try to picture that scene, dragged into court, racially profiled, clothes torn off, beaten with rods, and thrown into jail. All these harsh actions come from those in authority, come from civil officials. And Paul and Silas are reminded of what happens to those who challenge the powers or who are outside of what is valued. And we, I want us to think, why? Why did the people, why did the business owners or the, the crowds respond in this way? I saw a story the other day about Noah's Ark, maybe you saw this as well, but Noah is the very popular story in the Bible, right? Noah and his family were saved from the floods, reigned for 40 nights and 40 days. But there is, I didn't know this, there is a place in Kentucky that has a replica of, of Noah's Ark, fully built to the biblical specifications, 510 feet, 510 feet long. But this, the reason that this place, this place called the Ark Encounter was in the news, the headline read that the owners of Noah's Ark replica Sue over rain damage. Let me say that again. Owners of Noah's Ark replica sue over rain damage. Now, that's right, that's irony. Apparently, they were upset with their insurers for not properly paying back damage that had come by rain. Now, there are moments, right, that seem surprising. The Ark encounter damage due to rain. And I mentioned that, if we can see the irony of that situation, right? We encounter events that we expect to handle. You can even say we expect the weather. 
but they undo us. Maybe here's a silly example of this ark encounter that encounters something that they did not expect, rain damage. But it's not always silly or funny when we encounter things that change us or undo us. One of the themes of our passage I mentioned is unexpected loss. Things not going as they have been going, not as they've been expected to go. Undoing of one's plan, one's identity, one's business, a sense of control. You see, why do people respond this way to Paul and Silas? For the owners of this slave woman, their lucrative fortune-telling business is suddenly gone. And more than that, in that culture, having that business brought them some fame, brought them a place, an identity. Now, who are they and what are they to do? And they respond with anger, with violence, with prejudice. And the crowds join them, right? The crowds, these men and women who value their Romanness, that they are Romans, who value and even take pride in the oracle's guidance or the oracle's fortune-telling, Paul represents an outsider threatening their local economy, threatening what they hold dear, the way that they do things. And those who are threats, who are creating problems, especially when they threaten the things that are dear to us, bring anger. And here, Paul and Silas are thrown into prison. And it's the jailer, likely a retired Roman soldier, who receives Paul and Silas. And here is the the third person in Philippi who is encountered and influenced by the gospel. He's a totally different character than Lydia, the business person I mentioned in the beginning, and the fortune teller. Yet the same gospel blesses this person. His task is not the prisoner's comfort. We see that right away. His responsibility is simply that they do not escape, so he puts them in the innermost part of the prison, and he binds their feet in the stocks. The story goes on, and Paul and Silas don't let the punishment shame them or crush them. What we read, rather, around midnight, Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners are listening to them. I don't know how that strikes you. Maybe we can understand Paul and Silas praying, but but why would they be singing songs of hymns and praise to God? We see in this a form of liturgical resistance of them singing songs to lift their hearts, to imagine, and I imagine them remembering words that Jesus himself spoke. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it's in the middle of night, in the midst of the singing, that there is a great earthquake. And the prison's foundations shake, the doors open, and the fetters break free. And the earthquake that moves the prison wakes the jailer, and immediately he investigates, he runs, and he finds the worst possible scenario, the worst outcome has happened. The prison he is in charge of has burst open. He doesn't even look in, but right away, He assumes that the prisoners are gone right away. No matter the circumstances, he knows that he will be held responsible for the escape of these prisoners, which could mean a sentencing of death in Roman law. And he feels the shame of failed duty. He's on the point of committing suicide. And what happens next changes the jailer's life. What happens next is the beginning of a new beginning. Don't harm yourself. We are all here. Paul's voice cries out from inside the prison. 
Don't harm yourself. If we can try to imagine this scene that the jailer could see nothing as he looked in because of the darkness in the prison, but those who were inside could see his figure silhouetted against the doorway and they could see what he was about to do. Don't harm yourself. We are all here. With actions and words, Paul cares for the jailer. He cares for the one who has enforced the system's violence and harsh sentence upon him and Silas. Do not harm yourself. The jailer calls for lights and rushing in, trembling with fear, he falls down before Paul and Silas. He brings them out of the broken prison and he asks, Sir, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Now, we don't know fully what this man has in mind when he asks this question. What he does know is that things are not the way that they were supposed to be, and he needs someone to help him. We know that he is undone by the events, and he asks for help. I don't know, we don't know this jailer, but as one who is likely a former Roman soldier, and now the responsibility of keeping the prison of the city of Philippi. He's likely someone who has built his life, his sense of control, his sense of direction on his duty. I am a man that will keep my duty. I am a man who will be honored because I do what is asked of me. Now he faces his failure. He faces his failure. He kneels before Paul and Silas, overwhelmed by the events, overwhelmed by his shame, overwhelmed by the awareness that his duty is not sufficient in this situation. Here's a man without a compass. How am I to live if it's not based on the honor and duty of my work? Sometimes a life seems to be working so well, and then something tears. And even though mended, wearable, is flawed, a scar in the cloth. The opening stanza of a poem by a woman named Lucy Shaw. Sometimes a life seems to be working so well, but then something tears. And even though mended wearable is flawed, a scar in the cloth. I want us to try to picture this man who is face to face with the way his life has been ordered, not working. And there are moments in our life, moments sometimes directly from our actions, sometimes by the actions of others, or sometimes through circumstances that seem to have no reason at all. There are moments that upend our lives, that are unexpected, that break apart the sense that things will be okay or the how we'll go about the next things before us, that tear us. And in our grief and in our confusion, even in our anger, we may ask, how are we to make life work? How is it that we're supposed to put things together? The crowds valued being Roman, The owners of the slave girl clung to an identity, a popular business. The jailer here is a man of duty. Paul himself, who is at the center of this event, he writes back in his life before he met Jesus that his life was built, it was constructed all about having religious excellence. I am at the top of the one who studies. I am the elite in my practice. I am at the top of all those who would keep the laws of God. What about us? about you and me? 
Maybe some of us, the way forward is simply to be left alone, not to be taken in by others or to avoid needing others, to not be interfered with. But on that path, suddenly we're confronted with something beyond us, something such as glory or grace, love. Or maybe we are afraid of being shut out, not being considered important, not being valued, not at the center of things. Then suddenly something opens our eyes to realize that reputation or opinions are less than what we hoped for. What must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas reply, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And Jesus' work in the Gospels and the ministries, when Jesus interacts with men and women, he often speaks to them in different ways, but leading them to himself, to Nicodemus, the religious leader, he speaks about being reborn. To the one who is strong, this religious leader, Jesus speaks about not walking with human will or human strength or human determination, but being born by God. God's Spirit. And to the woman at the well, this outsider, this sinner who had been rejected by others, he speaks about living water. You have chased many things. Let me give you something that will meet your thirst. And now Paul and Silas offer this man, this jailer who has been undone, who realizes that his duty and his honor has been taken away. He offers, they offer him a new beginning something much deeper than cleaning up the situation. Believe in the Lord Jesus. This is the answer, always the answer, to start anew, to be rescued, to be born anew, to find a new way. Whatever the question, whatever the circumstances, this is the answer that Christ offers, that we come with different questions, different experiences, but we come together around finding Him as the one that is life. And so even for us today, we can hear this question, what must I do to be saved? And whether we are just beginning to think about faith or whether we've been Christians for years, that question is an opportunity for us to think again, what do I stand upon? What makes life work? When the waters of the flood are rising, where do I find my footing? And the answer, whether we are just beginning or been years into this question, the answer is Jesus. Not your performance, not your promises, not how you've performed today or promise in the future, but God's grace to you in Christ, that is your beginning. That is your life. That's the wonder of the gospel. I don't know about you, but I can often find myself, even as a pastor, as a Christian for many years, falling into the pattern that life will make sense when I don't fail, when I can handle things. When whatever comes my way, I can you know, deal with them or I can handle them in a good and proper way. Well, you don't need me to tell you that that is an end game that is a failure in itself. For it invites demands, it invites pressures, it invites things that will undo me. This is a false hope and one that religion can actually prop up. We who want to do what is right, be good, be moral, but when that becomes the footing that we stand on, we are setting ourselves for failure. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved is an invitation for each one of us, no matter where we are today, to remember or to hold on to or confess for the first time, I am a sinner. I'm a broken man or woman. 
I have fallen short and continue to fall short, but my identity, my place, my acceptance, my hope is based not in how I perform, but in God's love for me in Christ. That is the good news. And even if we've been in the church for years, we need to hear it again and again. And when we are undone, we have a chance for new beginnings as well. Paul and Silas, they spoke the word of the Lord to this jailer and to all of his family. And we hear in great gratitude at the very hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds and he was baptized, confessing faith in Christ. Together, he and his household. He brought Paul and Silas, these prisoners, into his house and all the household rejoiced in faith as they joined together in a meal. The theme or question of our passage is things that are unexpected when the ways that we're going become undone. And in the gospel, in the story of Jesus, we see a disconnection and a retachment, that there's always a breaking away from an old way of making life work to finding a new one, to letting go of old patterns and old hopes to find the foundation of Christ and his grace for you, that in him and his grace you are forgiven, accepted, adopted as children of God, Let us cling to that. Let us put faith in that. Let us, like this jailer, turn to Jesus as our hope and as our story. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are. And Lord, I thank you that you meet us where we are. Lord, as religious hypocrites or as those running from you, those overwhelmed by the pressures and demands of life, those uncertain about what to do now, Lord, meet us. Meet us with your grace. Lift our heads. Invite us again to be your children by your grace in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.